Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, December 12th, 2022. On the show today, news, listener questions, and news surveys. Then in our main segment, Jim gives us the history of Disneyland's Paradise Pier Hotel, which is changing yet again. Let's get started by bringing in the man who says that when people tell you to embrace your inner child, point out that yours is Wednesday Adams. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? It's going well. And, and by the way, have you watched the Tim Burton limited series? I'm through four episodes. Laurel and I started watching it this week. I love it. I think it's uh, I think it's fun. Well, uh, episode one was sort of iffy for me, mm-hmm. like a cross between like uh, I was telling Laurel, it felt to me like it was the chilling adventures of Wednesday Adams, the teenage witch. <laughs> you know, it kind of had that vibe to it, okay. but okay. Uh, but it's coming to its own. Yeah. All right. Well, that again, I'm I'm looking forward to watching myself. I've heard nothing but good things from folks who've seen it. So not exactly what you want to be watching headed into the holiday season. You know, <laughs> it's kind of funny because it opens up with uh, with Wednesday Adams getting kicked out of uh, Nancy Reagan Junior High. <laughs> 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 I'm already loving some of the lines out of it. You know, at one point, one of her classmates at the new school is like, care to take a stab at that? And Ben says, well, I do like stabbing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff like that. It's uh, it's, it's good dialogue. So, And I haven't got to the uh, sort of like what the deep, dark secrets are yet, but they're being teased. So we'll see. Okay. Anyway, speaking of deep, dark secrets, Jim, let's do a shout out to subscribers over mm-hmm. at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, three times four blog, JPC Cab. Adam Love today and Eric Hersey and longtime subscribers Christopher LeBlanc, probably David Liu and Alicia VK. Jim, these are the Universal Orlando team members constantly recruiting theater program aliens to act at the Men in Black Alien Attack attraction. They say the big selling points they push are the warm climate of Florida, the chance to work with Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones every day, and Rip Torn's famous peanut butter blossom cookies at the holidays. True story. I haven't been on Men in Black Alien Attack for a couple of years now, but last time I was on it, I actually got the tailor at the end. You know, if you get enough points, you get to see the tailor at the end who's making your Men in Black suit and just yeah. literally tells you, it'll be ready Tuesday. So <laughs> got to go back and get my suit. It's a great attraction. That it is. That it is. And speaking of Universal Gym, let's do the news because mm-hmm. Universal has just come out with some news. Folks, the Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish podcast. For a free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. All right, Jim, Universal's announced a new ride. It is Illumination's VillainCon Minion Blast, which is a mouthful, mm-hmm. but uh, it is this is replacing the Shrek 4D attraction. And from what I understand, Jim, it's a uh, it's right at the front of the park, mm-hmm. and it's you stand on a conveyor belt and shoot at things. Is that is that the premise of the ride? This actually keys off of a scene in the Minions movie that was released in 2015, which was a spinoff of the Despicable Me series. Got it. In the movie, Villains Con was actually being held in Orlando. So, first of all, it's, <laughs> of course it would. <laughs> it, it's canon, but Despicable Me Minion Mayhem is across the street. So, effectively, what's happening here is in much the same way that at Universal Studios Hollywood, where they created a Illuminations Mini Land by building their version of Despicable Me, Minion Mayhem, uh, right across the street uh, from, uh, what is it? The uh, Secret Life of Pets off the leash attraction. So this is Universal uh, Florida 
effectively doing the same thing. And it is also worth noting that it's in mid-January thereabouts. Basically, five attractions go down in the kid zone portion mm-hmm. of the park. A chunk of land between the E.T. Adventure and the Animal Actors stage. Yeah, a bunch of stuff there going on, yeah. Yeah, the, the very strong rumor is that that part of the park then becomes a DreamWork animation land. So in theory, within a year or two, just out ahead of Epic Universe opening, you get Universal Studios Florida getting two new kid-friendly lands, an illumination area and a mm-hmm. DreamWorks animation-themed area. So um, very right. so, uh, so. Uh, Minions Blast is coming uh, summer of 2023. Mm-hmm. And then the other lands will come when? 2025? Realistically, they go down in January of 2023. You mm-hmm. have to assume a couple of months of demo before we see foundation work, steel going, you know, vertical, that sort of thing. I would mm-hmm. I would anticipate 2024 at the absolute earliest. Okay, so more likely 2025. I'm trying to put this in terms of trons, and I think it's like 0.3 trons. <laughs> Universal doesn't doesn't go by the Tron timeline. It uses a different sort of uh, system. They got their version of Transformers, the Universal Florida version of Transformers, open in nine months. I don't even want to guess how many Tron light cycle runs that is, but Universal doesn't (laughs) kid around. Disney, on the other hand, it's like, we put up a steel beam, we have a sandwich, we lay down, we take a nap, then we put up another steel beam. So So, uh, so also within this uh, new Minion Lind gym, it's got a new Minion Cafe replacing, I think, the Monsters Cafe. Yep. That's the notion of you get a land. In fact, when you exit out of Despicable Me Minions Mayhem in California, you come into the gift shop and and there is a Dr. Nefario, I want to say, is the host of the, the cafe that's right next door. So again, this is this is California coming to Florida. All right. Uh, shout out to our friend Alicia Stella, who had most, if not all, of these uh, details a while ago, too. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, Jim, a couple of other things. Uh, it was announced over the weekend that uh, Splash Mountain in Walt Disney World is closing late January, I believe. January 23rd. This is for the Tiana's Bayou Adventure redo. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, that's a little bit earlier than, than I had anticipated. I thought that they were going to close it when um, when Tron opens, which is tentatively, I've heard now, anywhere from February to April yeah. in terms of previews to, uh, to openings. Jim, what do you think they're closing it in January before Tron opens, I guess, is the bigger question. Just this past Sunday, right, where you and I were standing at the bottom of Splash Mountain watching happy log after log of people float on by. I mean, they were soaked, but they were happy. They, they were enjoying, you know, their last opportunity to view this ride. The problem is right now that there's been so much deferred maintenance in regard to show lighting and oh, animatronic yeah. figures and that sort of thing that it's just so far below Disney's usual standards that it's just sort of like, our, our, we have to close this thing. Yeah. I mean, the last time I was on it, which was a couple of months ago, the uh, the jumping Bray Rabbit had ceased to work and that was a problematic animatronic anyway but like the jumping water effects hadn't worked in months and there's oh, yeah. just a lot of stuff that they're just never going to fix so yeah but and that, and you and i actually talked about this and we we both said we're not going to ride it again mm-hmm. like we're done yeah because the memories of it are going to be better than what we would experience now right there are so many stories about completely dark stretches of the ride and figures not right. working it's like look just have happy memories of a laughing place yeah. and then just move on we'll always have martin's vids <laughs> There we go. There we go. 
Thanks to Martin, we can always look back at it when it looked its best. So Exactly. All mm-hmm. right, uh, two other quick items, uh, Jim. Uh, last week, Disney previewed the redo of Caribbean Beach's pirate-themed rooms. Mm-hmm. So we uh, we talked about this on our live show, but I just want to reiterate it for people who, uh, who weren't there. The new room looks much brighter in terms of colors and lighting. Mm-hmm. That's good. And um, these are replacing, again, the pirate tombs. They're continuing the use of a fold-down second bed. Which, uh, which is on the left side of the publicity photos that, uh, that Disney did. I think it's a great idea because it adds like 7 or 8% extra floor space mm-hmm. to the room. There's also a fold-down fifth sleeper, uh, mm-hmm. it looks like, for kids. Plenty of storage underneath the beds uh, in an ottoman-type thing and uh, in, in various dressers. Also, tons of USB charger ports and outlets. Mm-hmm. So that's good. Um, we can't see the, uh, the new shower door setup, mm-hmm. but... As Disney started doing, I think, with Coronado Springs, there's a sliding door that separates the bathroom from the uh, the main living area. So that's good because it'll allow multiple people to get ready at once. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so overall it looks good. I do wonder, though, Jim, every time Disney takes these photos, like, are they drilling a hole in the wall <laughs> to put that camera in there? Because the room doesn't look that big in real life. What sort of lens are they doing here? I think the these are the famous... You build an actual room and a piece of the hallway offsite, you know, and you have breakaway walls. So, you know, you can do this, this very source of photography. But I honestly long for the old Michael Eisner days when they had to build the rooms right there on site and Michael would insist on sleeping in them overnight. Right. In fact, where they used to build the test rooms was right was Caribbean Beach. That's exactly. (laughs) Right now, I think that same site is where the giant laundry facility that services both Caribbean Beach, Pop Century, and Art of Animation is located. Yeah. I had one one morning where I was out doing something at Pop, Mm -hmm. and I had grabbed like a a hot tea, and I was waiting for it to cool down. Mm -hmm. And I just sat there and watched the inflow and outflow of vehicles. Mm Mm-hmm at the wonder facility. And again, I need a hobby, right? Yeah, like, I mean, this is not, mm-hmm. but, but the, the, it's constant traffic. Oh, absolutely. In and out. And there's, I mean, there's, there's just a, a lot of activity going on. Mm-hmm. I think 24 seven at that place. Yeah. So kind of neat. All right, Jim, one more quick thing uh, on December 4th, the financial times newspaper reported that Florida legislatures were moving to undo the Reedy Creek dissolution mm-hmm. that had started last year. Uh, the new plan, as we've said for a while, is to take away the unused powers from Reedy Creek, like the ability to build a nuclear power plant mm-hmm. while letting Disney retain its taxing and bond issuing authority. Mm-hmm. According to the Financial Times, uh, Randy Fine, the state congressman who was the sponsor of the original dissolution bill, told the Financial Times that Bob Iger's return to Disney mm-hmm. should improve the chances that, quote, something will get worked out. Just this past weekend, we saw all sorts of images on social media of Josh DeMero and Bob Iger at Disneyland Park. In fact, I, I want to say that Bob was there to attend that night's Candleland procession, and the, you know, was, there were people right. applauding and cheering as they walked across Town Square. There is no plan for Bob Iger to go down to Florida any time earlier than January of 2023. He made a very public appearance in California. And, you know, this is a guy who's making some very quick moves to send to the investment community and the press at large the effect of, you know, the shape picker is over. There's a new sheriff in town who's just like that old sheriff. But the understanding that things are still a little delicate in Florida and to the effect of don't go to town and necessarily give Mr. DeSantis something to talk about. If anything, what I'm hearing is when Iger goes to Florida, 
it's going to be tied to something very, very, I have to be here and I have to go yeah. back quick just to sort of keep a low profile. Don't add any fuel to the fire. I mean, everybody wants this whole situation to calm down and everybody walk yeah. away. And But you have to admit, it's kind of funny. It's like, okay, okay, we'll give up the right to build a nuclear power plant. You know, the thing we were never going to do, you can have. <laughs> On the other hand, Disney is keeping its secret laboratory where it's allowed to grow dinosaurs. Did that turn up? In, <laughs> you know. It didn't. It's funny because I, uh, I was on Twitter. Somebody had mentioned... Yeah, somebody was, I guess, you know, trolling for comments mm -hmm. about how, okay, Disney's going to give up their ability to build nuclear power plants, mm -hmm. but we should really bring in the UN <laughs> to do inspections on the site just to make sure they don't have any enriched uranium. And the people were taking it seriously because, mm -hmm. you know, you, you put something out on Twitter, there's going to be somebody who takes it seriously. And the guy kept going with it. And I wanted to, to tweet him and say, you know that we have surveillance footage of their underground bunker facilities that they built under the Magic Kingdom. Why is no one talking about this? But then I figured, like, leave the oh, one. Okay. <laughs> okay, Mr. Tessa, put down the can of kerosene. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Other things they're going to worry about. There we All go. Right. So. All right. Uh, Jim, let's move on to surveys. Our friend Erica alerted us, speaking of Twitter, to a Disney fireworks survey posted mm -hmm. on Twitter by a user named ZZ Gator with these questions. Which of the following previous Magic Kingdom fireworks spectaculars have you experienced? Wishes, which closed May 11th, 2017. Happily Ever After, closed September 29th, 2021. Or neither of the above, I don't recall. Mm -hmm. So Jim, let me ask you this question. I have never seen a survey specific to fireworks. What's going on here? You and I have talked about enchantment and what's going on with Harmonious and there's a sweet spot where you can stand when everything's working, mind you, to see the, the show as entertainment prepared it. Oh. What seems to be the same issue now, they're, they're going over the surveys, they're looking and it, it turns out the combination of, there's so much projection in the show that unless you are standing in the right spot at the top <laughs> of Main Street, that you you just cannot decipher. And so it's kind of a notion of, all right, all right, both of these shows have the exact same weakness, that only a handful of people can actually see them as they are intended. Well, you mentioned that, and I think you're, you're exactly right, because mm -hmm. there's a question about, two questions about enchantment mm -hmm. that allow people to say what they liked and didn't like about it. And mm -hmm. let me so let me read you the first question. And then the second question is basically the opposite. Mm -hmm. Which of these aspects, if any, had a positive impact on your experience with Disney Enchantment? The level of sound and audio quality. And you and I have talked about this, mm -hmm. about how at the dessert parties, you mm -hmm. actually can't make out what song is playing mm -hmm. because of the acoustics in the concrete yeah. around there. Mm -hmm. Character features, again, if you're at a dessert party, you really can't see what the characters are. Mm -hmm. The Main Street USA projections, which you just said. Yeah. The original song, You Are the Magic. The location of my specific viewing area. The overall storyline. The musical selections. The Cinderella Castle projections. The fireworks and other or none of these. And so ZZ Gator had picked fireworks as the thing that had the positive impact on enchantment. But when it came to the negative impact, again, same um, same set of questions with a couple of extra things. Uh, mm -hmm. One extra addition was the departure experience from the park and level of congestion or crowding within my specific 
viewing area, which mm-hmm. fair. But the one thing that they uh, that ZZ Gator picked as the thing that had a negative impact about enchantment was the original song "You Are the Magic," and that is super specific. I don't I don't think it's, it's as catchy as any of the other um, songs that have been previously no, done. No, no. But you and I have often joked about you know the wheel that is kept backstage at, at Disney, which has the ten operative phrases. In fact, yeah. I, I'll be damned if I can figure out how treasure wound up on that list, you know, the, for the, <laughs> the new cruise cruise line going, because wishes, magic, dreams. Inspire, inspiration. I said in the unofficial guide mm-hmm. that if Katy Perry's uh, not getting royalties mm-hmm. for that song, somebody should sue. Because that true. to me sounds like firework, like right. Yeah. Yeah. Last yeah. question in the survey, which was super interesting. Which of these had the greatest mm-hmm. negative impact on your experience with enchantment? Mm-hmm. The departure experience, the level of congestion, the U- uh, Main Street USA projections, the Cinderella Castle projections, mm-hmm. or the song You Are the Magic? There are three things you can fix fast. You can do the projections on Main Street, projections of the castle. You can change out yeah. the song. And we do have the walkway that's now behind... Main Street USA again, yeah, between arcade, uh, Main Street and yeah. Tomorrowland. Yeah, but they're they're not really viewing areas. They, yeah. they this is right. the thing with the with the central hub of the Magic Kingdom. They're not making any more land there. No, no, they're not. You know what they need, Jim? A multi-story uh, festival center <laughs> in the middle of the hub. I, I would make it a circle uh, because the hub is also uh, a circle. Oh, Len, please stop talking. <laughs> it's just an idea, Jim. You think they've got plans for that somewhere anywhere? <laughs> Don't give them any ideas. All right. Our friend John sent in this Universal Orlando survey that has mm-hmm. me, Jim, utterly confused. Let's go over the questions and see if we can figure out why the questions are being asked. Uh, so the first question is, Is um, we'd like you to indicate up to five things mm-hmm that you consider yourself to be the biggest fan of. These can be anything, brands, celebrities, sports teams, movies, TV shows, or other forms of entertainment. Please be as specific as possible. And so John said the five things that he was the biggest fan of would be Led Zeppelin, Tower of Power, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and Assassin's Creed. Mm-hmm. And I, now I want to ask John about his opinion on Jimmy Page's uh, 1973 solo for Stairway to Heaven live at Madison Square Garden, because apparently, Jim, that is the, the single issue that divides the entire Led Zepp community, whether it's good or not. Honest to God. Like, and I just stumbled upon this in the last week, and that's what it reminded me of. Anyway, but here's the question that sort of confused me. Mm-hmm. Next, we'd like to show you a list of various brands, mm-hmm. celebrities, sports teams, movies, television shows, and so on. Please indicate the degree to which you are a fan of each item. Mm-hmm. And your fan choices are, I'm a hardcore fan, I'm a dedicated fan, I'm a casual fan, I'm mm-hmm. indifferent, I'm a non-fan, I am averse, and then I'm unaware of this. Mm-hmm. All right, so Captain America, Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. The Office, which apparently is a thing mm-hmm. that people watch that I haven't. Okay. Batman, I get that. Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Here's where it gets strange. Elon Musk. Hey, Okay. Starbucks, mm-hmm. Friends, mm-hmm. The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, Doctor Who, Jurassic Park, mm-hmm. Drake, mm-hmm. the Canadian rapper, mm-hmm. Liverpool FC, the soccer club, mm-hmm. Nintendo. Okay, I got that. Okay. LeBron James, Disney. Okay, I understand that question. Ferrari, Nike, Stephen King. Remind me, we'll circle back to that at the, at the end. Uh, okay. okay. <laughs> Halloween Horror Nights, which I understand. Star mm-hmm. Trek, I got that. My Little Pony, Sure. Mm-hmm. Universal. Okay, fine. Okay. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Totally understand. Mm-hmm. Harry Potter. Yes. Serena Williams. Mm-hmm. Jim, I'm thinking of an attraction 
somewhere in Universal Studios Florida where you are just barraged with tennis balls <laughs> and you win by surviving. That's that's what I'm going with here. I'm signing up. Okay. So. Okay, sure. Um, CrossFit, mm-hmm. which sounds like the absolute worst hotel theme you could ever come up with. Dungeons and Dragons. The Buffalo Bills. It's my mm-hmm. friend Elise who came up with that question. Okay. The Alabama football Crimson Tide. Mm-hmm. Okay. I wonder why they didn't get more specific and say, like, the offensive line. There we go. <laughs> like, I mean, Larry. What about Larry? How do you feel about exactly. Larry? Okay. How do you feel, you feel about the interior linemen? Okay. All right. Uh, Game of Thrones, I understand that. Pokemon, got that. Lego, got that. Rihanna, the singer. Mm-hmm. Taylor Swift, the Real Housewives TV series. Disney Parks, Universal mm-hmm. Parks, The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. Very strange. It is. It is. And if we could just double back to Stephen King for a moment, because I know from friends who work at Universal Creative that for a time in the area where they had the earthquake attraction at the park, which then became disaster, which then became Fast and Furious, there was a time where it was going to be sort of an extension of Amity. You know, the, the, again, you know, your New England seaside really? village. And, All right. but, but as you pushed into, remember, that, that part of the park is sort of themed like San Francisco. So you, you would have come across a decrepit movie theater with a marquee and with letters that were somewhat askew on the marquee. And basically, this was the Stephen King ride. And, and you would have had all sorts of posters from various movies of, that have been based on Stephen King's book. You have gone inside, gotten in the queue, and you would have gotten on what looked like your standard 1930s dark ride train on a buzz bar. And you know that scene from the opening of the original version of Star Tours where they deliberately programmed the simulator for the first 10 or 15 seconds to ride and feel like it was on a track. And then suddenly there was that wonderful moment where Rex blew through the wrong door and you were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Okay. Okay, So here's the thing. You are on this attraction, you know, the Stephen King attraction. And for, for a couple of minutes, you think you're on rails and moving through, you know, a cheap, dark fun house of the era. And then you suddenly encounter Pennywise. Okay, all right. With a gesture, Pennywise, suddenly all four train cars in the train separate and blow through walls on either side of the track. And you are now freewheeling through this sort of best of of Stephen King, but on, on a trackless vehicle. And and I mean, Len, they were talking about doing this in the late 90s, early 2000s. I mean, you, yeah, you could do The Mist, you could do Cujo. Oh, There's a ton of stuff you could do. it would have been amazing. And, and evidently King was on board and... Universal hit a snag in that they had to go to Universal and Warner Brothers and Paramount to get the rights to all of these films. And now that there's exactly two movie studios, Jim. There we go. Okay. <laughs> it's so much easier. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But yeah. Yeah, so the I, consolidation doesn't have its benefits, but I'm just saying. Yeah, I wouldn't mind if they, they circled back on that, that idea. It was a, a wonderful concept for a ride. But to go back to the list, though, you know, some of the stuff that, that just sort of leaps out is, you know, for example... Assassin's Creed, Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones. I don't know how many times you've heard the same things I've heard about uh, Toon Lagoon over islands, you know, to the effect of you know, this needs finessing. You know, this is a, a stretch of the park that for decades now has featured IP that, that really doesn't 
engage guests. I mean, they'll no. walk through this space. They'll go ride the the Popeye Rapids ride, and they'll go ride the Dudley Do Right Ripsaw Falls. But yeah, but not many people do. And then generally, it's on the way to something else. No, that's it exactly. It's an area people blow through. We were just talking at the top of the show about the new Villain Con, uh, which now becomes the, you know, helps them, and along with the restaurant, creates an Illuminations mini land at Universal Studios Florida. Likewise, the the DreamWorks land that's supposedly coming between Animal Actors and E.T. So you got to assume that the very same thing is being considered for islands largely on you know uh, you know epic universe is going to be opening up the street in 2025 sure. so what's going to make that park something you really really have to go visit i mean yeah don't get me wrong we we got velocicoaster open there within the past year and right before that we got hagrid's the, the, the motorcycle, motorcycle yeah. coaster but yeah universal doesn't get around so yeah they're definitely building stuff and and the, you know, the building of other things will take a little bit of pressure off of Epic Universe, too, because I'm sure they're going to run into some capacity. By the way, did you notice in the last uh, Comcast call, mm-hmm. Comcast CEO confirmed that they'll be able to rent out specific lands? Yeah. yeah. So you and, were right on that. You've been saying that for a couple of years. Oh, yeah. Well, that, that's the thing, that there's a reason this park was built in close proximity to the convention center. They, they're, they're not conventions of size inside that facility every single day of the year but there's enough of them to definitely be a a revenue stream that could be considerable for this particular theme park oh yeah i mean i'm guessing during uh you know during the fall and the Mm -hmm. spring and stuff like that when people are doing either you know year beginning or year end Mm -hmm. conferences that you, you sell that out every night oh absolutely all right uh, let's move over to listener questions. Mm. Our friend Clayton writes in to say he's used the chat GPT AI writing bot mm-hmm. to plan a day at Walt Disney World. Here's mm-hmm. what it came up with. Uh, and one thing to keep in mind here is that the chat bot was only trained on things that happened in 2021 mm-hmm. or earlier. So uh, you'll see FastPass here instead of uh, Genie Plus. Mm-hmm. So the prompt was mm-hmm. from Clayton, write a detailed plan for a day at Walt Disney World. Mm-hmm. And here's what the AI chatbot. Uh, came up with and by the way I tried this myself too mm-hmm. I registered to use it and it, it's true here's here's what I came up with mm-hmm. here's a detailed plan for a day at Walt Disney World one start the day bright and early by arriving at the park when it opens this will give you the best chance to experience as many attractions as possible without having to wait in long lines two begin by heading to Magic Kingdom the flagship park at, at Disney World mm-hmm. start off by exploring Main Street USA taking in the sights and sounds of this charming turn-of-the-century town Jim this is all generated by AI uh, three, wow. make your way to Fantasyland to experience the classic Disney attractions, mm-hmm. such as It's a Small World, Peter Pan's Flight, and the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh. Don't forget to grab a Fast Pass, again, this is 2021, mm-hmm. for the most popular attractions to avoid long lines. After exploring Fantasyland, head to Adventureland to experience the jungle-themed attractions, such as Pirates of the Caribbean and the Jungle Cruise. Be sure mm-hmm. to check the schedule for the daily parade and the nightly fireworks show. In the afternoon, take a break from the parks and head to one of the water parks, Typhoon Lagoon or Blizzard Beach, for a refreshing dip and some thrilling water slides. Mm -hmm. In the evening, return to Magic Kingdom for the nightly fireworks show, grab a spot along Main Street USA for the best view, and enjoy the magical display set to beloved Disney tunes. Mm -hmm. After the fireworks, head to one of the many dining options at Disney World, such as the Crystal Palace for a character dining experience with Winnie the Pooh and friends, Cinderella's Royal Table for a fancy dinner inside Cinderella Castle. End the day by taking a leisurely stroll around the park, Enjoying the atmosphere and the attractions. Don't forget to grab some souvenirs to remember your magical day at Disney World. 
Okay. Anyway, Jim, it's been great. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> our, our robot overlords, Jim. <laughs> Look, I understand you know, from working the Turing plants out of the street, this is a little concerning. But at the same time, the AI gets to travel by Ethernet cable. So the notion of I'm in the park and yeah, last middle of the afternoon, let me go over to a water park and then come yeah. immediately back to the Magic Kingdom to watch fireworks and then have and my then go to meal. Dinner. You know, but it's not bad. I mean, you can reorganize these things, right? It's I a mean, right. You know, I get yeah. that, but only artificial intelligence, you know, that, that dines on the data points, you know, just, you know, and, yeah. and, and cool, you know, lovely electricity. Just sort of like, I'm having my big heavy meal after the fireworks, and you, you say, take a, <laughs> take a leisurely stroll out of the park. It's like, yeah, you know, when I'm loaded down with pasta from Tony's, when four guys have to carry me up the ramp to the monorail, it's like, okay, <laughs> this needs finessing. Yeah, it does. It, it, uh, it, it's interesting, because when Clayton sent this in, I didn't realize that mm-hmm. um, the temporal aspects mm-hmm. of planning or of, you know of stories mm-hmm. is something that the chatbot might not be able to incorporate. So I'm going to go back and look at that. But yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, this is it's English. It's bullet pointed. It's uh, it, it was really good. Yeah, I've used it for. I actually used it to explore. I asked it to write a um, a review mm-hmm. of Harmonious mm-hmm. at Epcot and emphasize the colors of the fireworks, and it did, which was kind of interesting. So, wow. Okay. And it also only used the colors that were in fireworks. So it didn't say like, I tried to get it to use the word plaid mm-hmm. <laughs> for fireworks and it wouldn't. Yeah, I know. Right. Thank you. Okay. Okay. <laughs> On the other hand, when they fired that guest relations person into the air, I noticed her, her vest was made of plaid. All right. We're going to take a quick commercial break, folks. When we come back, Jim gives us the history of Disneyland's Paradise Pier Hotel, which is undergoing yet another transformation. We'll be right back. Here's a question that a lot of us don't have the answer to. Or is it that we don't really want to know the answer to this question? I'm referring, of course, to how much all of your subscriptions really cost. I mean, just off the top of my head, I can tell you that Nancy and I are subscribed to Hulu, Paramount+, Plus, Disney+, Plus, Netflix, and Amazon Prime. And there have to be at least a half dozen more out there that we are also subscribed to that I've since forgotten about. It's for exactly this reason that most Americans think that they're only spending around $80 a month on subscriptions, when the actual total is a lot closer to $200. That's right, you could be wasting hundreds of dollars each month on subscriptions you don't even know about, or have flat out forgotten about. That's why I just love Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill. This app shows all of your subscriptions in one place and cancels what you don't want for you. Rocket Money can even find subscriptions you don't know that you're paying for. You, you may even find you're being double charged for a subscription. And to cancel a subscription, all you have to do is press cancel, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Get rid of useless subscriptions with Rocket Money now. Go to rocketmoney.com slash Disney Dish. Seriously, it could save you hundreds per year. That's rocketmoney.com slash Disney Dish. We thank them for sponsoring today's episode. To borrow a phrase from the late, great Douglas Adams, author of the beloved Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series, which Adams originally meant to write as a trilogy, but then somehow turned into five books, 
which is a very Douglas thing to do, by the way. Anyway, as Adams often liked to say, don't panic. I mean, sure, at this point, there are only a handful of shopping days left till Christmas, and let's be honest here, you have friends and family members that you have absolutely no clue about what you're going to get them this holiday season. But not to worry, I have the solution. With just one word, I'm going to become the Grinch that saves your Christmas. And that word is... Are you ready? Is the suspense killing you by this point? Because I feel like stalling for much longer verges on being annoying. Where was I now? Oh, 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 yeah. That one word is StoryWorth, which can help anyone write a book about their life. Here's how it works. Every week, StoryWorth will email your friend or family member a single life-related question that you pick from their collection. Like, uh, what was the bravest thing you've ever done, or what's the farthest you've ever traveled? And all they have to do is reply with a story. Then, after a year, StoryWorth compiles all of your friend and family members' stories, memories, and even any photos they've shared into an exquisite hardcover book, which then becomes this valued keepsake, which, you can bet, will be proudly displayed at their house the very next time you drop by for some holiday nog. I mean, millions of stories have already been told with StoryWorth because they make the process so simple. So get started with your friends and family members this holiday season, and before you know it, you'll be learning things you never knew about your favorite people. Like how Douglas Adams once wore a rhino suit while he was climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. That is a true story, by the way. Look it up. The pictures are amazing. So help your friends and family members share their stories this holiday season with StoryWorth. Go to storyworth.com slash Disney Dish today and save $10 on your first purchase. Again, that's S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash Disney Dish to save $10 on your first purchase. Storyworth.com slash Disney Dish. We thank them for sponsoring today's show. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. It was announced earlier this year, right, that uh, Paradise Pier was going to go through a transformation to be, is it Toy Story themed? It's actually several Pixar IPs. In fact, there's a piece of concept art from the lobby space that sort of shows stylized versions of Mike and Sully and likewise uh, Woody and Buzz, plus the Pixar ball, plus the Luxar lamp. At the same time, I don't know if you saw the images just this week, but they are painting the exterior of the building this week the Pixar primary colors. So you've got your your red, your blue, your yellow. It's coming along, but I remember the four previous names and and themes of this hotel. I mean, over the past 38 years, this 502-room, 15-story tall structure has been the Emerald of Anaheim, the Pan Pacific Hotel, the Disneyland Pacific Hotel, and of course, the Paradise Pier Hotel. So why has this hotel had so many different themes and, and that sort of thing? And our story starts 44 years ago, uh, in December 1st, 1978, when the Walt Disney Company announces that it has signed a deal with the Oriental Land Company to create the company's first international theme park, which, of course, back then was known as Oriental Disneyland, but just prior to its April 83 opening, got renamed Tokyo Disneyland. And... Okay. 
Oriental Land Company was actually made up of two enormous Japanese companies, the Mitsu Real Estate Development Company and the Keisei Electric Railway Company. Keisei Electric Railway Company had a rival in its field, which was the Tokyo Corporation Railway Company. Oh, yeah. Bitter rivals. Everyone knows this one. <laughs> I, you laugh. But Tokyo actually serviced the transportation needs of, of Tokyo and its suburbs. And the, the Tokyo Corporation Railway Company was jealous that after... Now, mind you, it had taken four years of negotiation. And the initial talks for the first international Disneyland began back in 74. So Keisei Electric Railway Company and the Mitsu Real Estate Development Company scored this deal with Disney. So the Tokyo Corporation Railway Company decides, okay, we're going to go one better than the Keisei Electric uh, Railway Company. It would form the Tokyo Group, its own real estate Mm. development company. And instead of bringing Disneyland to Japan, it would bring Japan to Anaheim. Oh, interesting. Okay. All right. Fair, fair. Now, the thinking here was Los Angeles had just announced it would be hosting the Olympic Games in the summer of 84. And it was projected at that time that Southern California just did not have enough hotel rooms to handle the millions upon millions of people who pour into the Golden State between July 28th and August 12th of that year to watch the games. And so the okay, Tokyo- and this is this is when again? This is 78? They announce it 78, but the games won't start till the summer of 1984. Right, right. Okay, yeah. Okay. But so, the planning. The yeah, planning. Okay. So uh, Tokyo sees an opportunity. But at the same time, it wants to hedge its bet, figuring that a hotel in downtown L.A. might struggle to find clients after the Olympic Games are finished Mm -hmm. around in August of 84, but that a hotel which is built out in Anaheim at the very edge of Disneyland's 100-acre parking lot, that could then rely on a steady stream of tourists to put heads in beds. It's an hour commute at least from Anaheim to the Coliseum in Los Angeles, which is sort of the ground zero for the summer games that year. But on the other hand, if the rooms at this brand new hotel were the right price, people would be willing to make that commute during the summer of 84. May 25th, 1984, the 502 Emerald of Anaheim Hotel opens. And by the way, Len, that's two months ahead of the games. Hotel initially does really well. But then in, in 1986, there's this financial crisis, the, the, the Japanese tech real estate bubble bursts. And oh, yeah. This lasts like 20 years. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole generation of Japanese citizens who never recovered from this financial crisis. Tokyo Company decides, okay, we're going to take our two brands of hotels. We have the Emerald and the Pacific. I'm going to turn that into to one company. And then this is why in 1989, uh, the Emerald of Anaheim gets a brand new name, the Pan Pacific Hotel. But also important to remember that five years previous to this, September of 84, Michael Eisner becomes the new CEO of the Disney company. And the, the Bass Brothers basically turned to Michael and said, get hotels built yeah, in Florida. But there was an, an addendum to that list to the effect of get some sort of hotel in Anaheim because it wasn't until January of 88 that the Walt Disney Company got its hands on the Disneyland Hotel. In fact, I've got a copy here of not just a walk on the park, my worldwide Disney resorts career. This is James Cora's memoir. Uh, Jeff Curdy helped him complete it after Jim uh, unfortunately passed away in 2021. I actually read this down 
uh, on my way down on the plane. A fascinating read. You know, it, it, hmm. really warts and all book about uh, Disney does not pull any punches, but it talks here about the Disneyland Hotel and how the placement of a hotel at the park had been parts of part of Walt's original plan, but his finances were strained to the limit as completion of Disneyland neared. So in 1954, Walt invited his friend, the entrepreneur, petroleum businessman, and TV producer Jack Rather to develop a, a hotel in some orange groves that were across the street from Disneyland. And oh, is that how Rather made his money in in, uh, in oil? Oh yeah, yeah. And, and remember, oh, he was also early in television. He he created the shows that were uh, syndicated: uh, Lone Ranger, uh, Sergeant Preston oh, of, God, of the okay. Yukon, and and the really really lucrative one, the Lassie TV series. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, ground breaks on the hotel March 18th, 1955. They run behind schedule. The, the, what is at that point, the Disneyland Motel opens October 5th, 1955. The hotel doesn't open till August of 56, but now it's doing land office business. And, and Walt is so grateful to his friend Jack Rather for doing this that you know, they opened the monorail in the park as a ride in 59. But yep. by 1961, they've extended the monorail. It, it, it now has a two and a half mile route and it goes all the way to the Disneyland Hotel. And, and Walt does this basically for free for his friend Jack Rather to thank him for at a time when no one else would help him. He yep. got a hotel built at Disneyland. Jim Cora is part of the opening team of Walt Disney World. So, and he hangs on for a month or two after the park opens, but he goes home to be with his family. Holiday 1971. And once he got back from Florida, he was told to report to the Disneyland Hotel. And it's like, why am I reporting to the Disneyland Hotel? We don't own that. And the word from Disney corporate was, we don't own that yet. At that time, Disney was negotiating with the Rather family to buy the, the Disneyland Hotel. In fact, plans were so far along at this point, Len, that was the reason Cora was going over to the hotel. He was supposed to do what he had done in Florida, which would, toward the end, he was working at making sure that the staff of the Contemporary and the Polynesian, which were made up of people from Marriott, people from Ramada, people from Hilton, that they all worked the Disney way. And so it's like, okay, you just did that at the Contemporary and the Poly. I need you now to go over to the Disneyland Hotel and get it ready for when we complete this negotiation and buy the hotel outright. And so for sure. months, Jim is over there putting a Disney team in place, training the staff that's worked for Rather since 1956 to be ready for the day that Disney takes over this hotel. But then they come into work and they're told okay, they have 24 hours, get out. It turns out the oh, negotiations geez. had fallen apart because the Rather Corporation, which owned Teleprompter, was being sued by the, the, the one of the gentlemen who helped develop the system. And the gentleman who was suing Rather, his lawyer said, look, when we do the settlement for this, we want to take into consideration the valuation of all of Rather's assets. You can't sell anything off while we're suing them. So Jim had to pull his team out of the hotel in 1972 wow. in 24 hours notice. But this just stuck in Disney's craw. We had it in 72. We had the deal in place and had to abandon it. So we jump back to September of 84, Michael Eisner, new CEO, and he wants a hotel desperately in Anaheim and and he thinks you know we have a hotel 
We just have to figure out how to get the hotel. An opportunity presents itself within weeks of Michael coming through the door. Jack rather dies in November of 84. Mm. And so the, the company is kind of in disarray at that point. Disney starts to play hardball. And yep. Walt had originally extended the monorail from the park to the hotel as a courtesy to his friend Jack Rather, who when no one else would build a hotel, did. Now it's Michael Eisner who's in charge. And it's like, hey, nice hotel you got there with a monorail that we operate for free to your place. And we're thinking it's time for you guys to now pay for the privilege of having a monorail, a, yeah. our monorail, come to your front door. And the fee that they were talking about, Len, $10,000 a day. It's basically extortion. That's such an ugly word, Len. So $3.65 million a year for the monorail. Yeah. And and uh-huh. remember, this is at a time when, when Jack's widow, Benita, who, by the way, the Benita Tower, that's where the name for that came from. She's just trying to sort of keep the company together at this point. And the fact that here's Disney, and this is the first fee. And the insinuation is, oh, by the way, that might go up the very next year. So negotiations open in, in 87. And then by January of 1988, actually, it's Disney and an Australian venture capitalist who go in together on, on Rather. And Disney doesn't just get the Disneyland Hotel. It also gets the Spruce Goose in Long Beach. It also gets the Queen Mary, along with a lot of oil fields. And I, I want to say... Oil fields. <laughs> you know, six months after the fact, the, the gentleman from Australia has basically handed all the oil leases. and Thank you. Go away. We just want yeah, exactly. the hotels and the land. And by 89, that sweet, sweet hotel money is going straight into the Disney coffers for the first time coming out of Anaheim. And and Michael loves it. So it's like to the effect of, hey, now I got one hotel, I want another. And it's like, ooh, what's the deal with that Pan Pacific thing down the street there? Which, by the way, is overlooking the site of where we plan on building our second theme park in California. You know, that hotel's gonna become that much more (laughs) valuable. How much would it cost to run a monorail there? <laughs> yeah. The monorail is Trojan horse. Uh, out ahead in next week's show. If you folks want to take a look at the original plans for Westcott, the monorail went a lot of places. Uh, more to the point where the Pan Pacific sat was an entirely different hotel. Disney was going to pull down the Pan Pacific. And, and oh God, Glenn, I think there were five hotels total as part of the uh, the Westcott uh, Disneyland Resort plan. But but again, we'll, we'll get to that on the next show. All right. That is fantastic, mm-hmm. Jim. This is amazing. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the show today. You can help support our show and Jim Hill Media by subscribing over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. And we have an upcoming series on Walt Disney's FBI file, so you know something to get you through the holidays. On next week's show, Jim finishes up the history of Disney's Paradise Pier Hotel. You can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me, Len, at touringplans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who will be screening the director's cut of the 1960 horror comedy The Haunted Castle at the Big Screen Wonders Film Festival, dedicated to underrated and underappreciated films in need of rediscovery, on Saturday, January 7th, 2023, at the Art Yard on Front Street in beautiful downtown Frenchtown, New Jersey. While Aaron's doing that, please go into iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Genesis Len, we will see you on the next show.